If not now, when? Because if I wait until next year, that wasn't working for me before. So why would it work for me again? If I wait until next year, then that's one year less. You know, uh, that's one year less of time that I have in the industry to go after what I want. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. I'm here today with Luke Brown, and Luke Brown is a longtime editor and former assistant editor, primarily in the network television space. You've got a myriad of credits on NCIS Hawaii, NCIS New Orleans, NCIS Fargo, Muskogee, Springfield, and all of the above, all of the many NCIS shows. Uh, there are other credits such as Once Upon a Time, Necessary Roughness, The Big C. In short, you've been in the TV world for a long time and many facets of post-production, but most importantly, especially for the sake of today's conversation, you are also a highly valued member of the Optimizer community as both a student in my career development programs and even more importantly, as a fellow Spartan racer. So Luke, long time coming, but we're finally on the microphone talking about your journey so far. Thank you for doing this with me. Yes. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So I want to dig really deep into your entire journey working through the Optimizer community, being an Optimizer student, so those that are listening better understand how the process works. And you and I are going to be really, really candid. This is not going to be a bunch of toxic positivity and about how wonderful everything is. You and I are going to get real about the state of the industry, about the state of the economy. But before we get into a lot of the details about your specific journey in the program, what you've learned, the challenges that you're facing, I just want to kind of start with the origin story. So give us kind of the, the usual background of how your career journey started, how you ended up at NCIS, and then the story ends it when you and I first connected. Sure. Uh, I'm going to start way back, but I promise it's not going to take long, uh, and I'm going to skip forward. When I was 10 years old, 
I snuck downstairs after my parents fell asleep. I turned on the television and I watched a film called Predator. After the film was done, I said, that's what I want to do. Fast forward to nine years ago. I'm here. I'm working on Once Upon a Time. And a mentor of mine calls me up and says, I'm an assistant editor at the time. And she says, I'm starting on NCIS New Orleans soon. Would you like to come with me? And I thought, what a great opportunity that would be to prove myself and get into an editor's chair. So I did. And so I was on NCIS New Orleans for three years. And the fourth season, I earned the chair. And I edited seasons four through seven. And then they asked me to come along to NCIS Hawaii. And I did two seasons of that. Now, after the first season, uh, this is 2022, a film came out called Prey. And it was a wonderful addition uh, to the Predator franchise. And at the end of that film, the same voice said, that's what I want to do. And I hadn't heard that voice for a while. And it scared me a little bit. I, I said to myself, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, there was, so there was suddenly uh, a motivation in me. There was, a, there was a change in the air. But I said, and I said it was scary because I suddenly felt a lot of fear because I knew that a change needed to happen. But I didn't exactly have the confidence to make that change. Um, I would liken my situation. Uh, have you seen Moana, Zach? I have not, no. You haven't. Okay, well, it's okay. It doesn't matter. Uh, Moana is about, I just, that film comes to mind because uh, my daughter watches it all the time and want, therefore I watch it all the time. <laughs> it's one of the few that for some reason, I have a whole lo- roster of Pixar movies, Disney movies I've seen on a loop. Somehow yeah. I skipped that one in the rotation. My daughter's seen it many times. I've never seen it. And I still to this day don't know how that happened. But anyway, continue. Uh, it's great. Well, Moana is a character who lives on a tropical paradise. It's wonderful. Great food, great people, great climate. It's a terrific environment. But unfortunately for her, she's curious. She looks out to the water and she wonders, what's out there? She's a lifelong student. And for whatever reason, she just wants she just wants to know she's curious and that's how i am and so but what i had lost i think uh in my many years in the industry was just simply my ability to listen to that part of myself and i needed to remember what that was like and remember what it's like to embrace fear and go into the unknown and I'd been listening to your podcast for an awful long time. I'd been listening to your podcast <laughs> in secret, in silence, whatever you want to call it. I was just a listener ever since the fitness and post days. And also around that time, I had gotten fed up listening to you. <laughs> because throughout the years of just this and that and the other thing, I thought, man, this guy thinks about the world and 
a very similar way that I do. And good for him. He seems to be doing things about it and and helping others, you know, do something about it and cultivate a mindset that actually, you know, pushes you to continue to always learn and always improve. And so I thought it was a great time and perhaps your community would be a great place to get the confidence to access that part of myself uh, that is a friend of fear and do what I had to do, which was gracefully uh, leave a wonderful, wonderful job in the NCIS world. I want to talk so much more about what happens from this point forwards. But before I do that, I want to go backwards just a little bit. And I'm going to share an anecdote that I think I've shared with you before, but I think it's important to share with the community as well. I've been talking for years about understanding that there are very distinct different types of jobs and careers. And I use this framework that I currently call the four types of creative jobs. We've got the paycheck job, we've got the lifestyle job, we've got the career job, and we've got the dream job. And when people are trying to understand the differences, what I've been doing for years, and there was no animosity or no negativity towards it, but I was being brutally honest, I would say a perfect example of a lifestyle job, I would presume is probably something like an NCIS, where it's a well-oiled machine and it's probably very nice people, it's not crazy hours, But let's be honest, for most people, not everybody, but for most people, it's probably not that creatively fulfilling. It's very formulaic. It's very predictable. And you know exactly what it's going to be each episode. Audiences love it. But as somebody that truly wants to challenge themselves creatively, it's probably not the best fit. And it's a great great example of a lifestyle job. And then you come into the community and share what came next with confirming whether or not my suspicions were true. Uh, Your suspicions for me uh, were personally true. Uh, They are are not true for everyone, but we're talking about me. Mm -hmm. And and for me, those were true at the time. Uh, NCIS was a challenging and nurturing environment for me for a very long time. But like I said, that little voice in my head uh, started talking to me in those in those last seasons. And the message was, you've given all that you can give and you've received all that you can receive. You know, there's in in terms of in terms of this, and as a lifelong learner, there's just there's just more that I have to give and more that I and more that I need to do uh, on on my journey. It was Another reason why it was frightening was uh, was because, well, it was it was frightening and it was frustrating because I, I almost wished that I was somebody else when I came to the realization that I needed to leave because if I were somebody else and that and somebody else NCIS might have been their end game, and if it was, it was just oh man, I so wish. You know, NCIS were my end game. I so wish it were because then I'd be set. You know, this is perfect. Um, you know, it's a it, it's it. You work nine, ten months out of the year. It is it is as close to stability as you can as you can possibly get in this um, volatile industry that we that we work in. But I figured I figured out that uh, that that stability to me. On a long enough timeline, um, it doesn't work. You know, I liked um, 
I wanted to be, I wanted to be uncomfortable again. Now I, <laughs> I had, like I said before, you know, with my, with my example with predator and prey, I just, I'd, I'd seen too many things that I felt that I could contribute to, uh, if I just gave myself the chance to find out. Yeah. So the, the really valuable thing that came out of this exercise for me, I hope value came for you as well, but the really valuable part of this exercise for me, and this is something I've talked about for years, but this conversation really helped me solidify it is I get the question all the time. Well, you know, is this, this project that I'm looking at, is this a paycheck job? Is it a lifestyle job? Is it a career job? Is it a dream job? And if somebody were to say, what's the answer is NCIS one of the above my response is that's up to you, right? And you just alluded to that. I always say that one person's paycheck job is another person's dream job. So for you, and I would surmise that in general, NCIS is closer to a lifestyle job for a lot of people on the show. For others, it's a paycheck job. It's like, I'm only here for the paycheck, right? You probably know a person or two like that. For others, it's a career-changing opportunity. So if you rewind, when you had the opportunity as an assistant to be on it, career changer, resume changer, right? But perceptions change over time. And for some, NCIS New Orleans, dream job. That's exactly what they want to do with their life. It's all about perception. And one of the exercises that I take my students through, including you, is better understanding where is my match quality the highest based on my skills, my abilities, my past work experience, my knowledge, and my passions, but how does that also align and overlap with my creative calling, with what I'm truly called to do, the stories that I want to tell? And then kind of the, the third quadrant or Venn diagram is, does this meet my needs? Does it respect my boundaries or does it cross them? And in order for something really to be a dream job, it's got to be the overlap of all those circles in the Venn diagram. And for you, NCIS was a lifestyle job and that, yeah, it was paying you. It was meeting a lot of your necessary needs, insurance, paycheck, good people, didn't have crazy long hours as a father. The piece that was really missing for you was that calling, telling the stories that you want to tell. So for anybody that's trying to wrap their head around the framework, there are not black and white answers. It all depends on your perception and your perception changed of what the show was from the beginning to where it is now. And the reason I bring that up before we go any further forwards, I think a theme of today's conversation is going to be the voices that are in our head and your, your voice that's so dominant is that that's what I want to do. But I'm curious as soon as you decided, you know what, maybe NCIS isn't for me anymore and it's comfortable and it's, you said secure and security is a really big word right now. Was there a voice of how dare you walk away from something this good? Do you realize how many people would kill to be sitting in your chair? Any voices like that chirping up? Oh, yes, exactly. Uh, throughout this process, this process was and continues to be work. There, there have been just as many voices in my head. I mean, throughout, throughout this process, I've needed to fight and I'm going to age myself, but so be it, whatever. I've had to fight 43 years at this point of behavioral conditioning. And yes, that, that conditioning says, just be happy with what you've got. But there's another voice that says, you've made it this far, so why not go a little further? And there were, and there were always clashing. It's, it, it's like, uh, you know, the two, the two swordsmen just back and, back and forth uh, constantly. So 
so yes, um, there was um, there was a lot of pressure in my mind about you know it's it's different now. It's hard to it's harder to take a risk now because I have a family. Uh, it's harder to take a risk now because we uh, have lived through an awful lot in in recent years. Um, we've we've lived through some very challenging times, a pandemic, um, <laughs> a year long strike in the industry. But I did notice that there was a pattern in my mind that and it was a pattern of excuse. And uh, that pattern of excuse was very repetitive uh, throughout the years. Prior to the pandemic, it was, oh, well, we're going to buy a house this year. You know, so that's so that's a reason to that's a reason to stay put. Oh, the pandemic hit. Well, that's a reason to stay put. You know, oh, the oh, you know, oh, the strikes are happening and and over and over and over and over again. You know that the strikes are happening. That's a reason to stay put. So. But it's just uh, but it's just going to go on and on and on and on and on. You know, if not now, when? You know, I am a master of excuses. <laughs> I, I know that about myself. I'm a master of excuses and I am prone to negativity. So, you know, those are the two. <laughs> those were, I guess, uh, two things that I you know wanted to vanquish a bit and um, and flip my mindset from. It's It's just if not now. When? Because if I wait until next year, that wasn't working for me before. So why would it work for me again? If I wait until next year, then that's one year less. You know, uh, that's one year less of time that I have in the industry to go after what I want. We're going to talk a whole lot more about time in a little bit. Um, the reason being that you had sent me a message sometime late last year, deep into the strikes and everything that we've been through with a giant laundry list that I need to scroll on a 27-inch monitor to get through because there are so much of all the things that you accomplished by focusing on the things that you could control versus the things that you couldn't. I don't want to get there quite yet, but I want to make it very clear that how you've used your time has been has been valiant to say the least, and I think it will be invaluable as we go forwards. But I want to zoom in on one part of the story, going back to where you said I'd been listening to the podcast for years. Frankly, I was tired of listening to the sound of Zach's voice. And at that moment, I'm like, God, you sound kind of like my wife right now. Um, but having said that, you decided it's no more about passive listening. This is not going to be passive digital mentorship. I'm going to cross the threshold and I'm going to dive into the community and I'm going to start taking action. And a lot of the things that we talked about as far as whether or not we want to stay with NCIS or go and making all these debates, that was kind of an ancillary side conversation. The true reason you at least started was to get very strategic about networking. So I want you to share with everybody listening, what was kind of the, the moment or the inciting incident where in your mind you're like, it's time to dive in and figure this out. And why did you choose networking first rather than bigger picture uh, career development and next steps? Well, I chose networking first because um, staying on staying on a show or with the same with the same group of people um, for for such a long time, uh, it's it's not their fault, of course, but inevitably. It, it it doesn't do much to expand your network. You know, it doesn't, you talk about concentric circles of networking. Well, I realized that I had one circle. I'd done some 
I'd done some networking in between in between seasons, keeping up with people that I that I wanted to. Uh, but what I didn't do, and if I I did occasionally, but I certainly didn't do it well, uh, was reach out beyond the scope of people that I that I knew. And something that I learned very early on, um, it might have been in our first conversation, is that is that I need to, you know, I need to tell more people what I'm capable of doing, you know, and I need, you know, to get out there and simply help more people, you know, accomplish accomplish their goals. That's how relationships work. You know, it's 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 back and forth. And so uh, you help me, I help, I help you, good karma, all of that. But I, so I realized that that just wasn't going to happen unless I told more people about, you know, as you say, the value that I can bring. And so I needed to get to work on that and fast. (laughs) And you got very, very good at it very quickly. And I don't, I don't think that it's an accident, but you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong and I don't want to put words into your mouth. But the more you started to kind of read the matrix of building your network and doing outreach, which we, we dive extensively into the weeds and all the various strategies and formulas and whatnot, none of which we need to get into. But I got the impression that the more you started to read the matrix, the, your level of confidence grew that I think I'm ready to take the leap. I always, and we're dating ourselves here, but I always picture that leap of faith moment from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? Where he knows the bridge must be there, but he's got to take that first step for that bridge to be there. And I felt like you were standing there for a while, maybe even years, listening to that voice, but oh, no, I can't take the step yet. I've got the house or the pandemic or X or Y or Z. What was the moment or the thought or the process within your journey in the program where you finally went from, I'm considering this to, it's time to take the leap of faith? How did that all transpire? Oh, boy. Well, um, I'll I'll back up a little bit before the moment. Uh, Like I said, I needed to to build confidence in myself uh, that that, that I was on a level playing field. You know, I'm a full fledged editor and 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 I can I can play you know I can play with the other editors in this field, um, you know they're I'm 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 strong enough and and gosh darn it people like me you know it's that uh, <laughs> <laughs> another '80s reference dating ourselves yes <laughs> yes exactly uh, so I needed to do that and ironically enough that came uh, through outreach that came through learning the process of outreach. Um, I'm not sure if we've ever talked about this or not, but I actually uh, reconnected with my writer's voice <laughs> uh, throughout the throughout the outreach process. And and I think that while it's true that you you teach a formula, um, you know, um, about how to properly outreach cold and warm. And how to properly just reach out to people. Um, what I really think you're doing, and at least what I got out of it, was was finding your voice and and having the courage to to actually speak that voice, you know, into the void or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's very difficult to be vulnerable with a stranger. Uh, it really is, and and like you said. Uh, it it is a leap of faith. It is a, there's no bridge. Um, but 
you know, like that's a, that's why uh, it's so hard to just send that first email because that's what that that's what that step is. Uh, it's a risk, right? But um, it's it's a it's a classic relationship. Risk equals reward. So what I got out of it was that I actually had, you know, I reconnected with my writer's voice, and um, we actually did one particular um, outreach email. I think it was my first. And uh, you know, as we as we dove further and further into it, I just noticed that okay, the more honest and the more genuine and the more sincere and the more vulnerable I'm willing to be, that it, it, it all equals honesty, you know, and that's and that's respectful, and and people genuinely appreciate that and respond to it. Uh, so I so I think the I think the outreach process is really. It is really just, you know, finding that finding that voice and having, you know, and all our voices are very vulnerable and having the strength to actually put that out into the world. Yeah, I, I think you articulated that very well. And I'm just going to add a little bit to it, which is that my approach to outreach, as you already know, is not all about templates. It's not all about tactics, right? It, there's a formula to it that's very simple to follow. But ultimately, if you can be authentic, if you can be vulnerable and you can portray confidence, that's going to lead to the best result with outreach. But without even really kind of consciously seeing this at first, I realized that in order to be able to do those things, to reach out authentically, be vulnerable and portray confidence, there's a world of work that needs to happen underneath that's much deeper that is more about understanding why do I do the work that I do and how do I even have the confidence that I bring value to the world. And all of that comes just from, oh, wait, I have to write one outreach email to somebody that I admire. That's why it takes weeks to write one message. Once you write the one message, you're off to the races and you know the formula, but there are much, much deeper questions other than how many words this should this be and how quickly do I follow up afterwards? You really have to know yourself to find that authenticity, that vulnerability and build that confidence. And I think you did all three with flying colors and you really found your voice and went from, at least from what I remember, the first couple of drafts was like, yeah, there, there's a lot of really bad habits here that you've been taught, but I can see that the raw material is there. And and then within like two weeks, all of a sudden, you just completely popped off the page. It was like, holy crap, this is somebody I want to connect with and I want to help. And if I'm on the receiving end of this, I would enthusiastically want to respond, help, set up Zoom calls. And I felt that once you kind of crack the code for yourself, because for everybody that code is different, you were off to the races. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the, the deeper lessons you learned about relationship building and some of the wins that you had along the way, because all of that factors into that moment of, I'm ready. I'm going to very politely decline and I'm going to move on beyond the show. Yes, not not to keep anybody in suspense. I, I will share that moment when we get to it now. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, let, let's talk about this this process of finding your voice, some of the wins that you got through the networking outreach that finally led to that moment of taking the leap of faith. Sure. Well, uh, the first outreach message that I sent, uh, the the recipient of it was actually in urgent care at the time that it was delivered to her inbox. Which, P.S., you didn't know. So it's not like, oh, God, he's telling 
his students to send messages while they're in the hospital? Like, clearly we didn't know that, but go on. No, no, that that was definitely not intentional. <laughs> I, I felt really, really bad about that. I, I would never bother somebody in urgent care intentionally. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, it, it got to her inbox when she was in urgent care. And she liked it so much that she responded from urgent care. Now, in urgent care, you have bigger fish to fry, you know, when <laughs> than uh, than in what's in your email. But I think she, but she, uh, you know, I think, and she said as much that she responded to it just because it um, it, it touched her. Uh, it, it, she was flattered by it and, and genuinely happy to uh, to have received it. And you know, once I once I understood, you know, see. You know, if you if you put yourself out there, you know, the worst that can happen is nothing. And the best that can happen is is something like that, where you just made somebody's day. And there's nothing at all that's wrong with that. You know, I, you know, I gave her just a little bit, you know, of happiness, of positivity in what I'm sure was not a good day. And I think that's why she responded to it. And to me, that's the that's the win of that. Uh, so, and that felt good. That felt really, really good. I mean, at that point, Zach, I, I I'd honestly forgotten about. Oh yeah, I want to go out there and get another job. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'd I'd forgotten about that uh, entirely, and all I wanted to do was uh was keep doing that it's it, it's like a <laughs> it, it's the best drug that you can take you know really mm -hmm. is uh, it, is just you know oh my gosh i helped that person through whatever it was they were going through and and that's fantastic uh that uh you know the secret to doing good is that um you know it makes you feel arguably even better mm -hmm. so and uh, a lot one thing to, to interject yeah. very quickly mm -hmm. and then i'll let you continue just to to help people really picture the quality of your email, not only did this person respond from urgent care, but this is very high-level executive producer on one of the top shows, on one of the top streaming platforms with a star that's recognizable probably everywhere on the planet as one of the top 10 stars in the world. So just picture that quintessential stereotypical producer on their iPhone, desperately trying to deal with all the chaos in their life from urgent care. And your message hit the spot so well that she stopped everything and she responded and then followed up afterwards. Like that speaks to the quality of your voice and the work that you put into this message. So I just I wanted to, to add that addendum so people understand how impossible it should have been for you to not only get a response, but get this person's attention. So that speaks to the work that you put in there. Now continue. Uh, no, you said it great uh, to build off what you just said. I think it's I think it's very important. Um, to, I, I think it's very important to do the work. And I know you think it's very important to do the work. Um, and that's something that I really enjoyed about, uh, I really enjoyed and continue to enjoy about your program. I think we have, I think especially these days, it's almost worth it to redefine what the word work means. Because According to my behavioral conditioning, I'm just accessing my brain right now. 
when I think of the word work, what automatically pops into my head is something that like, oh, work, that's something that I have to do. But what if work were something that you wanted to do? What if we redefine what if we redefined work period? Because the word work almost has a negative connotation. And what I really liked about your program, I almost wish there were a different word for it, but you know, I can't really think of one right now. But what I really liked about your program is that the work, especially after the uh, the first outreach email, it no longer felt like work. I genuinely, you know, in the in the traditional sense of the word, I genuinely wanted to do more of it. I genuinely wanted to work on myself. I genuinely wanted to face myself. And 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 you can do that, you know, in your program. And uh, and you've proven to me and and other students that you're you know there for us every step of the way in whatever capacity you want us to be, um, or we want you to be. Excuse me. So. Um, but but yes, that's a, a one message that I want to add is that one message that I want to add is to is for everyone to as long as you do your part, as long as you're willing to do the work, you're going to find you're going to find success and optimize yourself. But if you're not going to do the work, you know, then that will be that's going to be very difficult. So uh, but as long as you are willing to do it. You're going to you're going to get results. It's it's going to happen. I don't mean to sound like an advertisement. I I really really don't. Uh, like I said, I was highly skeptical of you for years. Um, I did not know if you were a salesman or not, and and I thought long and hard about it before uh, before I came to you. Uh, but uh, you have proven to be a genuine individual. Uh, and a um and you sincerely want to uh, help people you know, access strength that they didn't know that they had. And I feel like I, you know, did that very quickly and I continue to, you know, build that as we speak. Well, I, I very much appreciate all that. It's very, very meaningful. And I'll, I'll make sure to sell you that hundred dollars. I promise you. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give, I'll give you several accounts. <laughs> yeah. Kidding. Um, all right. So moving forwards, I'm now literally on the edge of my seat because this is a big pivotal moment for you. Mm-hmm. Take us through. I'm ready to take that first step in that leap of faith. Okay. Well, I went through several hot seats with you and exhausted the possibilities. I threw every argument I could um, for staying at NCIS. And as we as we talked through them, you asked me challenging questions that um, it's hard for me to think of the word because I don't think that you refuted my claims or any of that. But uh, But you just simply... You asked me good questions. You asked me questions that uh, just that that challenged uh, that challenged my notions. Perhaps um, you may have identified limiting beliefs, et cetera. But um, so we really exhausted the possibilities of the um, of the risk of sticking around. You know, that's what we came to. And there was um, you actually had a podcast interview. Uh, you know, I was ready to do it, but. I, I kind of needed I, I needed a bit of a catalyst. I just needed, um, like the Joker says in Dark Knight, like just a little push. Mm -hmm. And that little push came from your interview with Annie Duke. Mm. Annie Duke is the author of Quit. 
That's another word that I think needs serious redefinition. <laughs> um, and there was a there was an exercise that she talked about. There, there's all kinds of pearls of wisdom in that book. Um, too many to mention, but one that did it for me, and we actually did this exercise, you and I, was. Uh, I'm, I forgot what it was called. You remember what it was called? It's, um, it's I'm assuming the, the, the expected value exercise. The expected value exercise, right. So, and and it was, uh, you, you can correct me if I don't get this right, but we just, okay, so pretend it's a year from now. And you do another season of NCIS. Has your situation changed? You know, are you further towards what you want in your heart of hearts? You know, what percentage, you know, are you closer to your ultimate goal? And when I was asked that question, the answer brutally was zero. Now, the next question was, okay, you know, say you're not working at NCIS anymore. And, and ignore, I mean, we don't know the future. So we so we can't say where you're at, you know, but what we can say is that you're not at is that you're not at NCIS, you're not in the same place. So then given that, what is the percentage that you're like, what's the probability that you're closer to your goal? And while I didn't have an exact number, I can tell you one thing. The number was higher than zero. It is inevitably higher than zero. I don't care, you know, if it's one percent or anywhere from one percent to one hundred percent. If it's one percent, that is, you are one percent more likely to be closer to where you're at, depending on what you do between now and then. If I were to continue, you know, as I as I was, which wasn't working for me, you know, then the likelihood that my situation would be improved as far as my personal goals go, would be zero. And so, and so that, you know, those numbers, um, I'm a bit of a, you know, I'm also just a personal finance guru. And so when I see hard numbers like that, <laughs> those are very hard to ignore. And suddenly, and suddenly after that, uh, I just, it's set in. I, I knew what, I knew what I had to do. You know, I'm 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 sorry about what's what Hollywood has done between now and then, but that's not up to me and I can't control that. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found 
bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the topo mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the topo mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. So the next thing that I want to dig into that I think was expertly managed and navigated that I think really needs to be a part of this conversation before we get to what happened next, I want to talk about how you actually approach the showrunners, because one of the biggest fears when somebody wants to take this leap of faith and they want to go a different direction is, yeah, but I don't want to burn any bridges or I don't want to offend people or there's so many different ways to go about this, both the right way and the wrong way. And I don't think it could have been more expertly navigated. So for those that are thinking, I'm kind of in this place, but I even if I made the decision and the math and the probability told me this was the right way to do it, I don't know how to do it. So before we talk about after, talk a little bit about how you navigated this, because this is very challenging. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no kidding. It, it, it was very challenging because uh, something very tough about this is that you know, above all else, I did not want to hurt the show or the people on it. It's very important to me, you know, because as I mentioned before, I mean, it was a it was a nurturing and challenging environment that was uh, that I I was allowed to prosper through for so many years, and and I did not want to <laughs> I didn't want to pay them back for that. By leaving them hanging in the middle of the season, or or something like that. So, you know what I so what I wanted to do uh, was make sure that re, that what I did was also was also best for them. You know, I I also just wanted to make sure that, uh, like I said, that it wasn't going to that it wasn't going to hurt them, that it wasn't going to hurt the show in any way. You know, I I just don't think that's respectful, and my conscience just simply wouldn't let me do that. So, you know, there are there are three ways of going about it. Um, you know, there's the way that's best for me, uh, the way that's best for them. You know, or you know, as in any negotiation, you know, maybe there's a way, <laughs> you know, where we both walk away not entirely happy. 
you know, but we're also unscathed. All and parties so, are equally dissatisfied. That's the right. best way I've ever heard a compromise described, right? Right, right, right. Uh, so, so what I did was at the end of the season, I felt that honesty was the best policy. Uh, and this is right around the time when Hollywood was gearing up for some strikes. We didn't know if they were going to happen. Um, but you know, it was, uh, it was on the horizon, but I wanted to stay focused just with my own timeline. Uh, so I felt that it was important to be honest with them. And so I went to them and I, and I told them that I would like to help them as long as I possibly could. Uh, they've done so much for me over the years and, and I certainly, I certainly owe that to them, but I also owed them honesty. And that honesty was, I believed that it was time for me, you know, to pursue the next challenge. And, and they appreciated that honesty. And they told me, they told me right off the bat um, uh, that what I'd done was rare. Um, and there was a high level of integrity to it. Um, and that was really, and that was really music to my ears. Cause I think my biggest fear in all of this was that what I was going to do was going to unravel all of the accomplishments that I'd had up to this point, AKA burn bridges. And I'd, I'd seen that happen in my career several, several times before. And whether it was fine or not, there are, there were always lingering effects, whether, you know, people in the office uh, would say, oh, yeah, I'm, I've, I've heard it all. Everything from, you know, oh, yeah, we're never considering that person again, you know, to, oh, yeah, you know, kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, but I get it, I guess. And, <laughs> you know, there's uh, there's there's potential consequences. And I wanted to see if I could do this uh, without without consequence. And the way to do that is even on the way out, I wanted to make sure that I provided the kind of value that they provided me. Um, and I'm happy to report uh, that they assured me of that. Um, and they told me that when they heard of other projects that I would be their first call. So well, what you did was you you navigated it as absolutely, definitely, authentically, and honestly as you could. And I don't remember exactly what our conversations were, but I I wouldn't be surprised if I went back into the transcripts that I probably said something along the lines of, if you do this right, not only will they not respect you less, they'll probably respect you even more, and they're going to want to work with you even more. But if you go in and you're like, sorry, guys, can't do it, or you know, I found another show or whatever it might be, then yeah, you're like, well, you're off their list. But you actually built a stronger relationship and earned more respect just by being honest about, like you said, like you've been immensely valuable to me and I'm, I'm where I am because of you. And this is a great nurturing, creative environment. I'm ready for the next stage of my journey. A lot of people behind the scenes, and I know this because people have told me this, they're like, I actually respected you more because I've wanted to do the same thing and I didn't have the guts to do it. People respect that. It's the right people. Now, on the other hand, and this I'm not speaking to you specifically, but to others that might be in a place where they're like, my boundaries are constantly disrespected. I'm treated like shit. All the things that I was promised on this project are not following through. 
go scorched earth. Is that a bridge that you ever want to cross again? Anyways, just say, sorry, I'm giving you my notice. I'm out Friday. Right. I I'm okay with that because you're being treated the same way and they deserve the same amount of respect. But in your situation, it was so much more important to you to maintain the relationship. And I don't think you maintained it. I think you strengthened it by walking away the way that you did. So that that's why I wanted to talk about this because it's so hard to navigate this part of the process. And you did a really, really good job of it. Well, thank you. I tried. Uh, just to add a little evidence to your claim, um, I'm still in touch with everyone there, and it's and it's great. Uh, just the other day, my my former co-producer that I that I worked with for many years, uh, he sent me he sent me two job opportunities to look into. That's pretty um, awesome. <laughs> so, you know, if that's not to, if, if that's not value, then uh, then I don't know what is. Um, yeah, I. I, I regret nothing of that. And uh, I really do think that I really do think that despite this industry making it so difficult to do, I mean, let's not forget how hard this was to actually do to approach it this way. Uh, honesty really is the best policy. And 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 I think um, what something that we should all try to do if we can is to empower us, empower ourselves to make those kind of tough decisions. Um, something that we, something we haven't talked about, which I think is timely right now. Um, and I believe you teach this as well uh, in your finances course uh, is the way to empower yourself um, in, in these decisions. Uh, you know, I was also financially ready to, to make the jump. And, and, and I mentioned that, you know, not for some braggy reason or any of that, but I had I had been preparing for this moment as well in in that sense. So once uh, once I knew that we were good financially, um, and I had spoken to my family about it, and and got the go ahead that it was okay to do, you know, that's when I also knew that I could that I could make the hard choice. But in order to make hard choices in this industry. You have to empower yourself. And that's and that's one way to do it. You know, like how you do it, you know, that's that's up to you. But if you can't, but uh, you know, learn I something I want to throw out there, you know, is to learn how to financially empower yourself and and hard decisions will be easier to make. Yeah, I'm, I'm very glad you brought that up and it's gonna increase the the Zelle contribution. I think now I'm up to two hundred dollars for all the testimonials. Um, <laughs> but the this was a conversation that you and I had, and usually the voice that's the loudest when it comes to should I stay or should I leave is the voice of somebody's bank account. And in a million years, if somebody had said that the two main areas that you're going to focus your attention teaching creatives are going to be how to write emails and how to manage their finances, I would have called them nuts. But what I found is that the two areas of the menu that we talk about in the program where so many people get stuck is either I don't know how to connect with people so I can expand my network and expand my opportunities, but I can't afford to leave where I'm stuck now, which is why I filled both of those gaps. Luckily for you, we didn't have to talk about money at all, but that's such an important component to this because a lot of people can be thinking, I've done the expected value equation. It's 0% and 100%. I know I'd be happier if I left, but I can't afford it. 
right? And you have to set yourself up for that scenario. So you have the freedom to say no to the wrong projects and the wrong people, but that takes time and it takes a system. So I'm not going to go into that anymore because we've got other fish to fry, but Mm -hmm. I recognize that was a necessary gap that had to be filled because that's usually the biggest fear and the loudest voice. So speaking of things being timely and going into this concept of time, let's talk about the timing of when you made this decision and how it aligned with certain things going on in the industry. <laughs> yes, on on the surface it's it looks like quite a choice, right? <laughs> um, Hindsight's 2020. Yeah, I I thought about that. I thought about that an awful lot. But um I'm going to go back I'm going to go back a little bit. Uh just to just to reference that another hobby of mine is personal finance. I I read a lot about it. I'm I'm a fire disciple and a boglehead. And within those communities, there's a lot of there's a lot of good lessons to learn. And one of the lessons um, when it comes to investing, some common advice uh, that's that's often given on forums. Um, people will come to forums and, and they will ask, hey, you know, I have kind of a large chunk of dough that I'd like to invest. You know, should I put it all in at once, you know, or should I just trickle it in uh, over time? And eight out of 10 times or seven out of 10 times, I can't remember what the data is, but it's but it's quite high. It, you're better off investing it as soon as you can all at once. And, you know, you might ask, why is that? And the reason is because time in the market beats timing market. What I'd been doing prior to last year was I was trying to time the market. And by trying to time the market, you know, I would just, I would never invest. You know, that's, that's what happened. You know, I just, uh, I was always waiting for just the exact right moment, right? <laughs> just the, just a, or if we continue with the analogy, just, oh man, when's the market going to dip to it's just the lowest level it's ever been, you know, and then I'm going to put it all in there, you know, and I'm going to be rich. <laughs> but nobody knows what the market is going to do ever. You know, I don't care how much of a master you are. Nobody can tell the future. Nobody. You know, try we try all the time, uh, but we cannot. And so, you know, time in the market beats timing, beats timing the market. And that's why I did what I did. The short answer to your question is because I'm gonna die someday. (laughs) And I will answer your question with a question. What can you always make more of? Always make more money. Correct. What can you never make more of? Time. Precisely. Time is a finite commodity. Unlike in the cutting room, in real life, we cannot change time. We can't use time warps. We can't cut montages. We can't add scenes. We can't lose scenes. Time goes by and this at the same amount for eternity. And the only thing that we can do about it is is act in its favor. And and so I felt, well, if I continue to time the market and do this next year, then I'm going to be in the same situation all over again 
and have one less year to do it. So, you know, again, like I, I like numbers like that and it's very difficult for me to, uh, to argue against that. And so whether we, you know, whether the industry was going to have the year that it did last year, you know, was on a long enough timeline irrelevant, you know, because the timeline, you know, again, if you look at, if you look at um, whatever, you know, the S&P 500 or something over time, it goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. But if you draw a line straight through the peaks and the valleys, the trajectory is forward thinking and it always increases. So again, time in the market beats time in the market. I love it. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Um, I know that at least with where I am right now, if we had the tools with editing as we could apply those to real life, I am well between the endpoint and the outpoint of where I'd like to put a fluid morph, right? <laughs> I'm right in the dead center of if I could just extract this whole piece and I could get to the outpoint of where I want to be next in this story, I am dead center where there needs to be a fluid morph or a dissolve. And I think a lot of people feel that way, but we don't have that luxury, right? We mm. want to extract it and just fast forward, but we're here. And this is what I really want to get into next, which was really the impetus for having this conversation, is that giant laundry list of all the things that you did with your time. Because you made a very conscious decision. You said that, yes, this, this is probably the worst time I could make this decision short term. If, I, if you were a, you know, a, a daily <laughs> investor, right? Like if you were a day trader, you made a horrible decision. But if you're looking at the trends over time, that moment is going to come, and we're going to talk about that when hindsight is going to say, wow, this was the inflection point of all of the gains that I've gotten. But you're, you're in the messy middle right now, and you decided I'm going to focus on the things that I can control and ignore the things that I can't. So you don't need to recite the, the note word for word, but I want to give everybody listening some idea of how you've been able to leverage all of the time that you've had since the strike started. 
Yes. Well, when the when the strike started, um, I got busy right away because that that happened to coincide actually when um, you know NCIS and and I parted ways. I believe wasn't it like almost the same day, if I remember correctly. Not quite the same day. It was the same week. Yeah, it's close yeah, enough. So, yeah, in the in, in history and on a graph, it's going to be the same dot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so I got busy right away. Um, you know the the next, you know, how long did, how long did the strike technically last? Seven months? Years. Um, it feels like you have something like that. Yeah. Seven, eight months. Oh yeah. If you, well, yeah. If you include the long game in it, you know, then, then yes, it's, <laughs> it's a year still, you know, it's still pending. Um, but, uh, but I got busy right away. Um, I, I, I wrote, and I wrote and I wrote, I reached out and I reached out and I reached out, not just to not just to people whose work that I admired, but also to people who were in my network. But but I did not foster I did not foster the relationship and I wanted to rekindle that. And so, you know, throughout that throughout all of last year, you know, I was, <laughs> you know, I was I was reaching out. I was I, I was scheduling meetings. I was I was driving all over, you know, all over Los Angeles, um, meeting people old and new and just uh, proving to myself that I actually had a, you know, a much bigger network than I than I initially thought. Uh, there were a lot of really good surprises there. And, you know, I also just had a laundry list of things of things to do. Some of it, um, it was always on the it was always on the someday pile you know, which never, which never happens. Uh, but in this case, it did happen. Um, uh, because I was motivated to, I was motivated to make it happen, you know, because, well, I, you know, I, I, I took my, you know, I took the rug out from underneath me. Um, and, and it was just, okay, you know, the only way, <laughs> the, the only way through, <laughs> I guess, uh, like the only way forward is straight through this, you know, so, uh, so I needed to, um, I, you know, I wanted to design and design and build my own website. And so I had to first learn that and then do it, you know, which took, which took a couple months in and of itself. Um, but, uh, the beauty of living today is that, uh, there's all kinds of resources that can, that can help you do that. Um, and then they're very easy to find. Uh, so I, you know, so I did that and, and it was complete with an about page, you know, not to mention, um, that I also needed to go through all of my, you know, all of my previous work. So just a decade's worth of content, pick out the best stuff, you know, deliberately for a reason, categorize it and get it all up on here, you know, to, uh, you know, to actually tell people, uh, when I'm capable of, you know, what my creative calling is, you know, and what I can do to help them. Um, and so I did, so I did that. And I also took the opportunity within all of that to learn Premiere Pro, which I'd wanted to do for four years, because that's only going to increase your employability. And, uh, and so I used Premiere Pro to do all of that. So those were just some very concrete steps that had always been on the back burner that cannot hurt whatsoever. And I also um, did a, you know, did a strong deep dive with you regarding resumes. And, and now I have many a resume, uh, depending on depending on the genre, you know, and depending you have resumes, 
Yes. I won't get into my TED talk about having a resume, but the days are over where you have a resume. You're making resumes and you 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 uh you really you know ran with that idea. I, I did. It was a it was a good one. I was uh yeah, when you when we started working on the resume, I was just you know light bulb flash and intrigue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but uh I'll just say this about I'll just say this about resumes. What's when you have a resume, you know, and it's a list of what you've done, ask yourself this what's the difference between this and what's on IMDb? And I'm going to end it there. Yeah, because if there is no difference, it's going to, you're definitely going to be limiting your future opportunities for sure. Um, I think so. And, and again, I don't want to, to go off on a huge tangent and make this into a TED talk because I talk about this all the time and I'll be talking about it more. Um, but if anybody's ever gotten advice about this is what needs to be on your resume, you have to consider where the advice is coming from. If you're brand new in your career and you're making a major career transition, whatever it might be, and you're talking to something, somebody very successful and experienced in your field that's 10 years ahead of you, And you say, hey, can you show me your resume so I know what mine should look like? It's the worst possible thing you can do because where they are in their journey is very different than where you are in yours. And you're telling two very different stories to a very different audience. Mm -hmm. I'll leave it at that for now. But you really took that idea and you ran with it and you got multiple resumes that tell different stories based on the people that it's going to be in front of. Mm -hmm. And just to, to put a little bit more emphasis on something you said earlier as far as putting in the work. We got to the point where that if I did hot seats in a literal classroom, I would have put a plaque on the chair that just says reserved for Luke Brown. Because Tuesday at 9 a.m., I didn't even have to look at who was on the calendar. You were always there asking questions, putting in the work. So I very, very much appreciate that. And you put in the work, you get results. It's a very simple formula. Mm, Well, that's a two-way street. Uh, I I don't run from help. Uh, I I know what it is when I see it. And... um, (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't know enough about this, about this life to not need help. Um, you know, so you were providing it and, and you continue to provide it. Uh, so, you know, watch out because <laughs> if you keep, if, if you keep, uh, if, if you keep teaching things, you know, then I'm going to keep coming back. <laughs> well, I'm going to hold you to that. I now have that on the record. That's just um, the way it is. <laughs> so, so speaking of uh, constructing the narrative of this journey and coming at it as editors, you know, we talked about this. We've got the endpoint and the outpoint of this giant section. This is all the struggle. This is all the strife. God, wouldn't it be great to just fluid morph this out of here and make it a seamless transition? But honestly, that's usually the best part of the story, right? Mm-hmm. That's deep in the heart of Act Two. It's the trials. It's the tribulations. It's the obstacles. It's the overcoming adversity. Then all of a sudden, we have this moment at Act Three. It all comes together. It all makes sense. And in hindsight, you look back and you're like, this is the best decision I ever made. So let's talk about that big aha moment that you've had that's just proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that you made the right decision and it's all worked out great. TBD. TBD. Interesting. We're not there yet, are we? <laughs> We're not there yet, um, which is why it was so intriguing when you asked me to come and talk about this. And that's uh, the the whole reason we're here. And it took us over an hour to get to this point, but by design, but I was very strategic in choosing somebody that was in the middle of the journey that didn't have the success story. They couldn't say it all worked out great. The reason being you are in the same place that so many other people are in right now. 
And I want everybody to understand what's going through your mind because there are real fears. There are real voices. And I don't have all the answers. I can't confidently with 100% success say leaving NCIS was the best decision you ever made. I'm still very confident that moment's coming, but it hasn't come yet. So I don't have 100% confidence. So what are some of the real fears and challenges that you're facing right now that I believe so many others are also probably facing? I'm really glad you asked that question. Um, I, I almost stopped you earlier so that we could go back to it uh, as far as my accomplishments over the strike uh, and give you some more context. It has not been easy. Uh, you know, it, uh, it's been hard. It's been hard. But <clears throat> a big fear that I've had throughout it, I've, I've gone through and I've talked to others and they've gone through it too. You know, I've had to navigate my way uh, through a, a very real identity crisis, frankly. Um, you know, the, the lack of work has, has all of us questioning. Um, you know, I, I questioned myself just, wait, I'm not editing anything. Well, well then what am I? What, what good am I? What use am I? I'm, I'm an editor. You know, why, why am I not editing? Is, you know, is, is that all I am? Well, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to be? You know, I have had to, you know, question everything. I mean, this, this choice has has forced me, you know, to reframe all of my basic assumptions about my duties as a husband, my duties as a father, you know, what I expect of myself in that way. Uh, so, so it uh, so it has not been easy. I'll I'll tell you about um, for as much as I've accomplished uh, in this time. Uh, and it and it has been a lot. I have been very, very motivated, and the accomplishments have, um, you know, have helped me a great deal, you know, in navigating the mental challenge of all of this. But uh, but I, there have been very tough days. Uh, I would say my my toughest day um, when I hit rock bottom was probably a couple of months after I'd after I'd left NCIS. And it was really setting in that it, that just okay, you know, these strikes are going to be for the long haul. Um, you know, I I knew that the strikes were going to be were going to be big. You know, I I knew that they were going to be long, um, and I knew that it was going to be a watershed moment. You know, but I you know, but I I think like many others uh, did not anticipate their their real length. But this was around the time when it was starting to feel that way, um, that that hope was leaving. And I remember getting up and just and and not and just being full of fear and regret. And all I could do that day was make myself the greasiest three cheese grilled cheese sandwich, you know, that day. And I, and I think I watched three bad, you know, 90 Steven Seagal flicks. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I, I felt like collapsing upon myself. Um, I, I really did. Um, so it has been a struggle and, um, you know, and I've had to, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of cognitive therapy and, um, and I'm a big fan of it because 
cognitive therapy, it, it, it just, it works for me because I'm a, I'm a person that uh, if I can demonstrate through action that I can, that I can pick myself up again, that I can get myself out of holes, um, you know, then, uh, you know, then that's real evidence that, you know, Hey, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. But, you know, I have had to uh, navigate all of those, uh, all of those challenges. There were, there were days that I didn't want to wake up. Um, but, uh, but I will say that to do that, you have to, you have to allow yourself to have those feelings. It's okay. You have to allow yourself to, to sit in those feelings. Um, you know, we feel what we're going to feel. We don't control what we feel. We feel what we're going to feel, and then we control our reaction to it. And so, um, my sister is a psychiatrist, and she told me about this great. You know, I wish I could remember. You know, the the doctor it's attributed to, but um, it's this it's this concept called coping ugly. Mm. And you know how there's the five stages of grief. Um, and coping ugly argues that the five stages of grief don't necessarily have to happen in that order <laughs> that that you read them. You know, maybe maybe one day, you know, you'll be in the acceptance phase, you know, and you're all right. And then and then the very next day you're in the denial phase, you know, or the anger phase, you know, or the bargaining phase, whatever it is. That is all okay. You know, you have you have got to allow yourself that. And then if you allow yourself that, you'll know when the time is, you'll know the difference between sulking and just allowing yourself to feel what you need to feel. You know, so that's something that's something that my my dad growing up always always talked to me a lot about was to just, you know, not ignore your feelings that way. You know, and and let yourself, uh, you know, let yourself feel. You know, don't you don't need to sulk. You know, you don't need to, um, you know, do self punishment and wallow in self pity. Um, but you, but it is okay. And you know, honestly, a lot of things that I felt bad about were were things that were beyond my control. Um, you know, there was because we're last year we were surrounded by hardship, so. You know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. You know, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was there was darkness too. Yeah, I'm I'm but, I'm very appreciative of the fact that you were you were willing to share all that and be candid about it. And mm -hmm. I just want to make sure to to add on to people that I love that you you shared this concept of it's okay to feel all of these things because I think that there's so much conditioning, especially the older generations, of which I now include myself in that. Um, that you just, you don't feel it. There's no time to feel those feelings. Just suck it up and deal with it. This is the way that it is. And I think we have to accept that and be willing to feel them. And in general, my rule is that whenever something really shitty happens, lose a job, lose some money, have a, whatever it might be, right? Like failing on American Ninja Warrior twice. Um, you know, th I've, I've been through my share of failures. I allow myself to feel all of it. I eat, like you said, the grilled cheese. I'll eat the pizza or the cookies or the ice cream or whatever, right? It's like I've got a 72-hour window where it's just F the world. I'm just going to sulk and I'm going to be negative and I'm going to be an ass and don't even come around me because I'm going to snap at you, right? Monday mm -hmm. morning, that's this is my reality. I take responsibility for my reality and it's back to work. 
But what I've also learned from many years of managing mental health issues, anxiety, depression, is that if on that Monday morning after the 72-hour clock is at zero, if you still can't get out of bed or you still can't bring yourself to take the actions and it goes from 72 hours to a week to a month to more, that's where it's time to get outside intervention and outside help. And that's where I think whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy, other modalities of therapy, and even if you can't afford them, reaching out to people that can just help you get out of it. I'm going to make sure that we put resources to a multitude of conversations we've had with therapists, including a recent conversation uh, with bestselling author Brad Stolberg, where we talk all about how to navigate uncertainty and change and, and how to get that motivation to move again. But especially because there's been so much inertia for now, frankly, almost a year for a lot of people. If it's not a matter of I'm going to feel the feels for 72 hours and wake up on Monday and get it done, if you're still stuck, it's okay to not only share that, but to ask for help. And I think you've, you've been a really good advocate for that in the community. And I just, I wanted to put that out wider to everybody. Yes, I, I completely agree. I, I would, I, I would see that and raise it. Uh, you know, it is, it is not weak to acknowledge that you need help. It is not weak to ask for help. It is not weak to get help. It is strong. Why is that strong? Because you're strong enough to acknowledge, you know, that there's that there's something there's there's something inside of you. You know, there's a part of you that you want to improve. There's a part of you that you want to face. And that's really difficult to do. Mm -hmm. So I've got uh, two more questions. The last one, I think, is going to be a good one. This next one, I think, is going to be hard. But you're yeah. no stranger to adversity. Like yeah. I have metaphorically put you through the ringer. I have literally put you through the ringer in the trenches with burpees and literal trenches and barbed wire. And like we've, we've done all of it at this point. Oh, this yeah. is a hard question. I have no idea what your answer is going to be. What's stopping you from calling NCIS and say, okay, I changed my mind. I want to go back to work. Why haven't you done that yet? I haven't done that because that is not <laughs> that is not in service of what my greatest fear is, you know, that I want to that I want to avoid. My greatest fear is that I'll be on my deathbed and I'll ask myself the question, did I leave anything on the table? And my greatest fear is that the answer to that question is yes. And my purpose in life is to make sure that the answer to that question is no. And if I were to go back there, it has nothing to do, you know, with it has nothing to do with NCIS, you know, or its people, you know, or or any of that. It's it, it it's just that I don't see that, you know, as I don't see that as a as a path forward. I, I don't see that as, as as in service of my deeper why. You know, like as, you know, to use terms that uh, I don't know if they're coined by you or not, but <laughs> I'm sure I've I've probably usurped them, stolen them, cobbled them together from a variety of other places. Because at this point, 
what I've learned from years of personal, professional development, all the reading, everybody has said everything. It's just the order of the words, mm. right? So very, very rarely am I willing to attribute something to myself because it's just a combination of what everybody else has already said and shared. So mm-hmm. it's what they call standing on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> um, so final question, which is kind of an addendum or an extension of part one, potentially, which is knowing what you know now, but not knowing what's to come next Get yourself in a time machine for a second and go back to the day that you make the decision of whether or not you're going to stay or leave NCIS. What do you tell yourself knowing what you know now? I would do the same thing. I, I would do the same thing. Um, I, I, I would do the same thing. <laughs> I, let, let me back up to your, to your question before, you know, mm-hmm. about, about asking to come back to uh to ncis i also think and another factor in my decision i just wanted to get less existential about it <laughs> was there there was also in my in my heart i mean when i have when somebody's entrusted me to help them tell the best version of their story you know, then I give my mind and my heart to that. And if I'm not giving all of my mind and all of my heart to it, you know, then that is depriving them of somebody that would, because there's always somebody out there that would. And and I think if I stayed at NCIS longer, then that would also be doing them a disservice because I feel like you know the quality of my the quality of my work i don't think the quality of it would deteriorate you know but i but i do think you know that the that the passion um you know perhaps even the enthusiasm that that may wane you know, and and i don't think that that's respectful of anyone that that has entrusted you to you know help them with their help them with their story so so that uh, so just to back up a little bit on that and give and that's my attempt to give you a more practical reason. <laughs> sure, and, and I appreciate that, and I think that that's it's a very courageous and admirable decision. That's also terrifying because going back to where we talked about compromise earlier, you said, "Well, there's a decision that's best for me. There's the decision that's best for them, and maybe we can find a compromise in the middle." And there's a lot of this that's making the best decision for them. Short term, it's like, oh, my God, we got to find another editor. And Luke already knows how we like our notes and like our transitions. And like short term, it creates some discomfort and some challenges. But if you're thinking bigger picture, especially a show like NCIS, it's probably going to be on for another 50 years, right? So eventually they're going to find somebody that can fill that role and somebody that does see it as their career opportunity, that wants to give it their all. It's better for them that you choose not to continue. And that's something that a lot of people lose sight of. So I'm, I think it's very admirable that you made that choice for for your needs, but also really understanding their needs and seeing it from their perspective, which is why I believe it was such an amicable parting of ways that's led to increased respect and also potential future opportunities. So um, I could go on about all of this forever in a day, but I want to be very respectful of your time. And in the spirit of networking and community building and supporting each other, would you be okay for those that wanted to reach out and connect with you? And if so, how can they do that? And also, how can they find more about you and your work? 
Oh, yes, I'd I'd be happy. Uh, I'd be happy to be contacted by anyone that thinks that, um, you know, that I can help them along with uh, with their challenges. Um, you can go to my website. That's LukeWBrown.com. My email address is Luke at LukeWBrown.com. And I have IMDb profiles and I have Facebook and I think I'm on X. I think I'm still on X. I refuse um, to call it X, by the way. It will always be called Twitter until Elon right. puts it out of business. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> right, right. I, I'm not very, I'm not very good with social with social media. So if you would like to contact me, I would contact me through my website or, yeah. or my email address. That's what uh, that's what I prefer. Well, I just want to end by saying I had high expectations for this conversation. I know that you and I have had some really great conversations during hot seats during classes. I had very high expectations. You exceeded them. Uh, I thought this was a, a fantastic conversation. I really hope that those that are listening find value in it. And more importantly, find some hope and inspiration in it. Because I think the more than anything, that's what we all require and what we really need right now. And I think you brought that in some. So I just wanted to thank you one more time for being a valued member of the community, a valued student, and a valued Spartan literally in the trenches with me along the way. So I appreciate all of that and more. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'm glad I could help. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you've subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.